Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Hello and welcome to the Situation Report today. Very glad to have you joining me. This is the show where we do our very best to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stalnicker. I am your host and I am excited about today's conversation and today's guest. Today, I have the opportunity to speak with Gary DeMar. Many of you would be familiar with Gary and his work. But when it comes to the issue of biblical worldview, uh, there is there are a lot of people involved in this, of course, but uh, there are none better than Gary and none who have been doing it quite as long as him. Um, I struggle personally as a Christian navigating the world as it is and culture as it is, and things are changing so quickly, and our relationship with our government, local government, and our national government. It, it's very difficult as someone who cares about what God wants us to do and cares about my family and cares about the government and cares about my country. It's very difficult to understand uh, how to navigate the various issues and uh, even points of friction between those different areas. And I come back to this conversation and this topic of biblical worldview so often. If you listen to this show, you know that. But one of the areas that we have talked often about in our Christian culture and society over the last couple of years is the topic of freedom. What does it mean to be free? How far does our freedom extend? Uh, what is the difference between what we might call political freedom and spiritual freedom? How do we view these things? Well, we need to view them from a biblical perspective, of course, but that can be extremely challenging. And uh, I'm so thankful to have Gary come on and talk about that. So this conversation, I know, will be a help to you. Uh, please uh, enjoy. <laughs> uh, take notes on, share out this conversation with my guest, Gary DeMar. Gary DeMar, thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it as well. Very, uh, very excited about this, uh, this conversation. Um, you are the expert in helping us understand a biblical worldview. Um, and we need a lot of biblical worldview right now, um, particularly around these issues of freedom and liberty and what it means to be a Christian at this moment in time. So I'm very excited about jumping into this. Uh, for those who are listening that are not familiar with you, though. I would love to just start with a little bit of your background. Um, you've done an awful lot, obviously, but what was it like growing up? When did you become a Christian? How did you get into really spending your life focused on helping others understand how to live their lives and view the world from a biblical perspective? Wow. Uh, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, I was raised Roman Catholic, and uh, my main emphasis growing up was in sports, I competed in uh, track and field. I was actually, I used to hold the Pennsylvania state record in the, in the shot. Uh, I was ranked wow. fifth in the nation. So that's where I, wow. I that's where I put yeah. all of my efforts. I was not yeah, a very yeah. good, 
I was not a very good student. I, I, I went to but college. But you had fun, a, and that's important. Yeah. I, 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 went, to, um, I went to college on an athletic scholarship because of my, what my, I did in high school. Uh, and near the end of my college years, it, I really got disconnected with kind of purpose. Uh, I, by the time I got to college, my athletic career, it, to be a shot putter, you know, I, I would have had to put on another 30 pounds and lift even mm-hmm. more than I was already lifting. I had lost the enthusiasm for it. And uh, I was kind of drifting my senior year in, in, in college. That was 1973. And I ran into an old high school friend uh, at, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I was there for a track meet, and uh, he sat down with. We were in a pub. Uh, I, I missed the bus going back to Kalamazoo, Michigan. I was a, I'm a graduate of Western Michigan University, and he started sharing the gospel with me. And it was just the right time, right right place for me. Uh, you know, uh, again, missing the bus, he drove me all the way back to Kalamazoo, and. Uh, mm. I think I only saw him one time, you know, since since then. Wow! And I I was in a I was in a uh, living in a house, n- n- not the best conditions, either physically or spiritually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and met another fellow there uh, who also had become a Christian about the same time. We you know we kind of bonded over this new thing, but I didn't know anything about anything. I was raised yeah. Roman Catholic, so you know I I was never never an atheist. Um, I, I just didn't know the specifics. Uh, being in the Catholic Church, uh, you pretty thing everything was. You, you were dependent upon the church itself and its rituals and so yep. forth in order yep. to solidify your faith. And you never really know if you if that faith was going to be good enough and so forth. Uh, so, in hearing the gospel, uh, really changed my life. I mean, it was did a complete yep. complete one eighty. Uh, but I, I had no idea where this was going to take me. And so I ended up graduating from, from college, moved back to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, providentially ended up in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and providentially ended up within a few blocks of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. And I don't know if you're familiar with, with Coral Ridge, but yep. uh, D. James Kennedy yep. was the pastor there. Yep. And I wish I had time to go through the whole story. But anyway, I, I with my college degree intact, uh, I ended up being a custodian <laughs> At Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, wow. and wow. Uh, because yeah. I I really needed a, a a big dose of what the Bible had to say about things, and do, and Dr. Kennedy was on the forefront of biblical worldview issues. I mean, there wasn't a there wasn't a better preacher, teacher, scholar mm-hmm. in the country like Dr. Kennedy, and uh, and someone just said, Gary, why don't you think about going to seminary? So here I am, a Christian for you know. Hmm. Maybe a year, <laughs> uh, and I ended up going to, uh, right, to a Reformed right. Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, my faith and knowledge and all that just grew to extraordinary uh, lengths. Um, ended up in Atlanta, Georgia, start te- started a teaching school, and providentially met a guy who hmm. uh, was, was running an organization called American Vision, which was mostly based on America's Christian heritage. He hired me as a researcher eventually became president of the company. And the first, the first series of books I wrote uh, were God and Government. And, and th- that's really I, where I had kind of the beginning of putting all this together. 
because when we think of the word government today, we think politics. We think government yes. is always about politics. But in biblical terms, government is about God is the governor of all things. And if you don't start there, nothing else is going to make sense. You're not going to get anywhere unless you you believe that there's a sovereign God who is the governor of all things. And don't ever think that there isn't another sovereign out there. Uh, you know, when you when you get rid of God as the sovereign, God doesn't go away and sovereignty doesn't go away. It's just right. transferred to something else. Right. And so, right. Uh, and, and in this book, I, I it was a three-volume set that came out in 82, 84, and 86, the various three volumes. And it went on to, this, to, to describe that in, while God was the governor of all things, he established four institutional governments, family government, church government, and civil government, undergirded by self-government. That is, if you don't have good self-governors, families don't work, churches don't work, and civil governments don't work. I mean, in order to be an elder, you had to be a, a good governor of your family. If you can't govern your own children well, right. how are you going to govern, govern in the church and how are you going to govern in the civil sphere? So that's in a nutshell my how I've got to this particular point. So from, ninth, from after seminary, 1980 to today, I've been uh, with American Vision, which is a biblical worldview ministry. And uh, the God and Government series is now in a hardback volume. And that was the basis of everything that I had taught. Uh, and from a biblical perspective, and it covered everything, not just, you know, covered economics, how you deal with the poor, yep. taxation, yep. education, just, just the whole gambit. I was, uh, so I'm 46 years old. I grew up, you know, in the church throughout the 80s into the early 90s. And um, people like you and, and many others during that period of time that you just talked about were, were writing about this and talking about this and helping churches and Christians to understand their relationship with the government. And, and it seems like we have come to this, like, it's a black hole where Christian people have zero connection or concept or understanding of anything that you just briefly mentioned, uh, that God is the governor, that he is the sovereign, and how we should respond then as Christians to our local governments and our national governments, what what has happened? Why have Christians gotten so far away from their understanding of these basic biblical truths? I think there are a number of reasons, and it's it's been progressive. Uh, if you go back and look at the the founding of the of the of the America, founding yeah. of the United States, you're dealing with right. you know, the, the late 17, uh, 1700s. If, if 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 you were to go back and look at what got started here, these are people who understood how the Bible applied to every area of life. Mm -hmm. There wasn't an area yeah. in life of life that they they dismissed. I mean, Harvard, Yale, what is today Princeton, um, nearly every every colonial college uh, started off as 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 Christian. They were Christian colleges. They were yeah. they were founded on a biblical worldview. Right, right. And what's happened over time? We've gotten into this idea that. Somehow you can you can separate your personal faith from everything else, and that the only thing that is important to the Christian is their personal their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe some extension to your family, certainly your church, maybe business business ties. But for some reason, over time, lots many Christians have been taught we just don't get involved in the world. Right. Uh, the, right. the world is is governed by Satan. We're told. Uh, we're living in the last days. 
uh, everything is pointing to the end. Uh, why bother? Why you know the, one of the, these mm. phrases that is used? Why polish brass on a sinking ship? Why rearrange <laughs> the deck chairs on yep. the Titanic if it's all going sure. down? Sure. So this is kind of a witch's brew of of disengagement from what the Bible says. I mean, look, think about it. There are two books in the Bible called Kings. Uh, yep. And so if to to separate the Bible from the politi- political sphere, uh, you you have to discount all the all the prophets, the major prophets and the minor prophets. And people say, oh, we're New Testament Christians now. Well, yeah, we are New Testament Christians, but Jesus never dismissed the Old Testament. Right. The, the Apostle Paul, if you go Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul called on his Roman citizenship. When he was arrested and beaten, and, they, and the Roman government was going to let him go quietly under the, under the cover of darkness, he said, absolutely not. We want a full-fledged apology for what you did here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so eventually you end up having the Apostle Paul appeal to Caesar. The civil magistrate in Romans 13 is called a minister of God, a deacon, just like there is an ecclesiast, there are ecclesiastical deacons, there are civil deacons. And the civil, and the civil deacons who are supposed to be ministers, by what standard are they governing? That's, that's the topic, that's the issue. If you dismiss and pull out uh, from the culture at large, something else is going to fill the vacuum. And that's, that's what's happened in our culture today. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with MyPillow is launching the MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Now, nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it even better. The MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow and now with a brand new fabric that is made with a temperature regulating thread. The MyPillow 2.0 is the softest, smoothest and coolest pillow you'll ever own for our exclusive listeners the mypillow 2.0 is buy one get one free offer with promo code sitrep mypillow 2.0 temperature regulating technology is 100 percent made in the usa and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee just go to mypillow.com and click on the radio listener square to buy the one get one free offer Enter promo code SITREP or call 800-870-0283 to get your MyPillow 2.0 now. So when we talk about concepts like freedom, this is something over the last couple of years in particular, there has been much debate and argument over in the Christian world. Um, uh, You know, those who are, we'll say secular, they don't hold a biblical worldview, nor do they pretend to. They'll go along with what the government tells them to do. They may have a problem with government overreach and those kind of issues, and and those conversations happen there. But in the Christian world, much of what you just mentioned has happened where people have a very different understanding of freedom from one church or one, you know, Christian person, I guess, one family unit to another, where some would say my freedom— is a spiritual freedom. It has no application here. Romans 13 commands me to go along with the government. Whatever they say, that's what I need to do. There are others on the other side of that aisle who would say, well, my my freedom, you know, the Declaration of Independence tells me that it's given to me by a sovereign God. The government does not give me my freedom, and I need to be able to exercise that as I see fit. As a Christian, how do you understand and view this concept of freedom, just very broadly and very generally? Well, f- freedom is an, is an ethical issue. 
We, we always have to remember that you just you can't just spout off. I'm free to do this. Right. I have the liberty right. to, to do this. It's, it's an ethical issue. Then you have to ask yourself the question, by what standard is are, are your freedoms given and on by what standard are your freedoms curtailed? Mm. And that's not just for for you and me. That's for everybody, uh, because if you, know, you say you have freedom to do something and I say I have freedom to do something. All right. What if my freedom conflicts with your freedom? Uh, who, what's the deciding factor here? Force, yeah. power, um, yeah. and yeah. Uh, station, wealth. So in, bi- in biblical terms, you have to understand freedom in terms of ethics. And unfortunately, Christians have once again divided their ethical position. They'll say, well, yeah, God's word applies to me personally in the church, but it doesn't apply to the civil sphere. Well, I just beg mm-hmm. to differ. It, it, it does. And, and the Apostle Paul in Romans 13 was, in fact, making that case. He right. says, because yeah. the civil magistrate is determined yeah. between good and evil. And I can guarantee you neither he nor Peter were saying that they have exclusive rights to determine what's good and evil. The Apostle mm-hmm. Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. So even Romans 13 and I think it's First Peter 2, those are not absolutes. Uh, there, there are there are exceptions, and you can go through the Bible and find exceptions to the idea of what the civil magistrate does. I mean, Daniel and his three friends, they said, "Oh, they didn't say, oh, do anything you want. You know, you're the governor. Put me in the lion's den, and you know, so forth." And of course, providentially, it worked. It worked worked out for them. But the, the, they they refused to eat the the king's the king's food. There were a number of things. Daniel continued to pray. Right. Uh, the Apostle Paul, as I mentioned, you know. When when the uh, one of the the soldiers was to come to him and was going to beat him, tied him up and beat him, and what did Paul say? He didn't say, "Go ahead and beat me, do anything you want to me." Uh, he said, "No, no. Would you beat a Roman citizen?" <laughs> right. And he was immediately immediately cut down. Yeah. So, all right, what is our Caesar? You know, people say, "Well, we're supposed to render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's." Okay, well, we don't live under Caesar. We live under the Constitution of the United States. And people say, well, yeah. wait a minute. But that, if in, in essence, that's our Caesar. And not only do we live under the, the United States Constitution, but we live under state constitutions. And we live under county governments. And so you have to ask yourself the question, if that's our Caesar, what does that Caesar say? And read through the entire Constitution, and you will not find much in terms of ethics. It's all... These are the things the civil government is permitted to do. These are the things that doesn't even say what things they aren't permitted to do. The Constitution of the United States is a document of enumerated powers. If that power isn't listed in the Constitution, the the civil government doesn't have that power or authority. And so when when people say, well, we're just supposed to go along with what the government says, to a certain degree, that's true. But what the government is doing is doing is going against the Constitution of the United States. And we as Christians, the First Amendment says you can speak against you can speak freely about all these things. You can assemble freely out about all these things. You can write freely about all these things. And here's the another interesting one. You can petition the government for a redress of grievances. These are all, these are all the freedoms we have, and unfortunately, too many Christians dismiss them yeah. by by giving out this thing. We're just supposed to go along with what the government has to say. But 
All you have to do is go to Nazi Germany where that was followed to a T and see where you see where you get with that. Yeah. Well, what do you do with, you know, Canada is an easy example because of the most recent, you know, COVID restrictions and, su- and such. Uh, Christians in Canada, Christians in the United States supporting those um, saying, well, the government is overreaching, but they did not have the Caesar of the Constitution. They didn't have the protection of the Constitution that we have. This is something I've had a hard time understanding, even in my own mind, as I've tried to articulate this to others. Um, how do you deal with that? When you don't have a, a constitution, you have a country like Canada, many other closed countries, but um, that's a different kind of example because it's more socialist than, than closed. How do, you, how do you address that? Well, it's obviously more difficult you know, to do that in Canada, but it doesn't mean you still don't have the biblical freedom to resist if the civil magistrate is forcing to, forcing you to do things that are contrary to scripture. And right. if, it, if the civil magistrate comes in and says, well, you must close your church or you can't speak, speak about homosexuality from the pulpit. Uh, you can't, right. you can't oppose a, a, a abortion in terms of protesting against it. Look, I'm just telling you that you, you, you still have the right and the freedom, the biblical freedom to, make a decision not to go along with it. I didn't say there weren't consequences to yeah, it. Of course. And it's just yeah, like the people who um, you know, opposed Adolf Hitler. Uh, you know, there were consequences. I mean, people literally were, were killed because they opposed Adolf Hitler. Uh, there were there were times during um, where uh, ministers, the Gestapo would go into churches. Uh, Martin, any, you need to read the story of Martin Niemöller. The, the Gestapo went into churches and took notes from what pastors were preaching from the pulpit. Yeah. But they continue yeah. to preach from the pulpit. Uh, some of them were, you know, were you know, put in internment camps and, and eventually executed. Uh, so it, I'm not saying it's easy to do these things, but we in the United States you know, do have do have an apparatus. But it, think how long it took to get us to that point. I mean, that apparatus wasn't put into in, into effect until 17. Well, eventually it was, it was ratified 1789. But it took going all the way back to Magna Carta, how long it took to get into that position. But if Christians don't start understanding these things now and try to fix the things that are going on, and we should, in fact, help our, our neighbors, our neighbors to, the, to the north especially. And if Christians were involved in the government here and we were actually operating as, in terms of, of biblical values and biblical ethics in, at the, in the realm of civil, civil magistrate, our country could put pressure on Canada to to stop this, and there are organizations out there, Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, Liberty Council, and so forth, that have international ministries who are, who are who are dealing with this in the courts. I feel like one of the um, areas that the last couple of years have really revealed in the church is a lack of biblical literacy or understanding. Uh, what it even means to have a biblical worldview. So Christians have been put in this spot where their their churches are shut down, for example, or uh, other things are happening and they don't know how to respond because they don't know what the Bible (laughs) says about what they're supposed to do. How do you begin? So for people who are stepping back and going, yeah, I need to figure this thing out. Where should one begin to develop a right biblical worldview? Uh, Apart from we need to read the Bible but where do we start to really develop this biblical understanding of how to function in this society? 
Yeah, I, 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 I hate to be self-serving here, but the good start would be with my God and government book. Yeah, right, uh, right. But, uh, but you know, laying that aside right now, uh, you, I think you, when you start reading the Bible, you, you really have to ask yourself the question, God created this world, the whole world, and one of the things he said about this world is it's very good. And even in this, in this in a sinful, in sinful world, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about everything is everything is good if if you follow God's design mm-hmm. for how you yep. determine what is yep. good. For example, nuclear power is good, uh, but when you make bombs and blow up people, that's bad. Right. Sex, right. sex right. is a good thing, but it can be abused. Uh, so I think that the first place you start is God gave us this world. The world is good. There's sin in the world, and as a result of sin. We have to understand how God deals with that sin at the level of self-government, family government, church government, and civil government. And ask, and ask the questions, how does the Bible apply to me as an individual, as my personal relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ? How should the church function? The church is a government. You think about it. We've got elders in the church. They're you know, ecclesiastical laws. Uh, the the Bible, the Bible has a clear understanding of, of a jurisdictional separation between church and state. You can study that all the way through the Bible. You had Moses, the civil magistrate. You had Aaron, who was the, the, the ecclesiastical magistrate. You had civil rulers, uh, Exodus chapter 18. You had the high priest and you had priests. They had jurisdictional separation. They each had their governments that they were sovereign over. And if somebody transgressed that, God reacted to it. You think of uh, King Uzziah. I don't know if you remember the story of King Uzziah. All he did was that it was to take incense and go into the into the temple and offer yeah. incense, and God struck him with leprosy. Yeah. So, under, so understanding that God is the sovereign over all things, that mm-hmm. God's word applies to everything, learning those basic principles, understanding that there's a jurisdictional separation between these institutions, not an absolute one. Understanding that the First Amendment says nothing about a jurisdictional separation between church and state. That was a given back then. First Amendment is very clear in what it was designed to do. Congress shall make no law respecting yeah. an establishment of religion yeah. or prohibiting yeah. the free exercise thereof. You, underst- you need to understand the limitations of the Constitution and vote in terms of those limitations. And don't say, hey, I want I want the government to do things with me by taking some money from some people and giving it to other people. There's no right either in the Bible or in the Constitution to do that. So you need to vote accordingly. And pastors need to start teaching in terms of a biblical worldview. And that, look, I understand that's probably a little scary for some pastors. I went to seminary. Uh, we, we really, I went to a very you know, conservative Bible-believing seminary but we we weren't really taught these things. We were taught the what you know what you know the the Bible. What does it mean and all that? But there wasn't this applicational side to it to every area of life. And you know I so all of those things are necessary to do. But and, and the last thing I would say is you don't get caught up in the idea that you're going to change everything politically. That you know we're not. It's you're, we're not going to be able to change things. You think you're going to get the right president or the right senator and so forth. I'm, I guarantee you that's not the fix. The fix is right. we, individually 
families, churches, business establishments, journalism, all of these things Christians need to be involved in. There's a very good book by Vishal Mangawaldi called The Book That Made Your World. Hmm. It's published by Thomas Nelson. Uh, and Vishal is an extraordinary storyteller. Uh, and this would, this would be a great book for families. Uh, um, yep. And it, but he shows, he shows you cannot understand Western civilization unless you understand the Bible. The Bible built Western civilization. The Enlightenment actually uh, was was helpful, but only when it saw that we had a a, a fixed worldview, uh, and and it, it kept it in check. What what really destroyed the Enlightenment era was uh, Darwin. Darwin comes along in 1859 and says, you can get rid of all that stuff. Not only do you get rid of the Bible, but you get rid of natural law and everything else. And yep. that's, in many respects, that is what's destroying our culture today because the secularists, the materialists, the naturalists are becoming more consistent with their unbelieving worldview, while Christians have not, have, have not engaged over against that, the consistent worldview of the secularists. Good. I, uh, I had the opportunity to talk to... Um Dr. Gordon Wilson yesterday about you know, creation versus evolution and, and the, the kind of supposed conflict, right, between faith and science. And he did such a great job of talking through that. But that's another area that Christians have been pushed into a corner where we've just accepted this. You can believe anything that you want to, but that's over there. God is over there. You can be over there, but don't bring that into science. And we've just remained silent and in so many of these areas, if we're not willing to learn and then explain, articulate, help our friends that want to understand, nothing will change. I, yeah. Look, and and it's, it's a shame we've allowed ourselves to get to this place. And a lot of it is just about, we talk about misinformation and so forth today, but science developed within a Christian worldview. Uh, right. If you, you go back right. and study the history of science, it's almost all the most famous scientists were Christians. Uh, you you go you go back the the fight with Galileo and the Roman Catholic Church yeah. was not over the the Bible and science it was over Aristotle and science because the church yeah. had adopted an Aristotelian worldview and not only had it developed an Aristotelian cosmology but it also had developed a an Aristotelian ethic. Uh, and Galileo came in there. He wasn't opposed to the Bible or he wasn't opposed to science. He was just right. saying Aristotle was wrong. And a couple of experiments <laughs> that he did, you know, by, by dropping two, two objects that one was heavier than the other. And, uh, and uh, it was like, wait a minute. Aristotle just came up with a theory by saying two objects, different weights will probably fall at different speeds. And but no one, no one ever experimented yeah. to see it. Right, that was the right, case. right. And then he came right. up and he said, "Oh, the Earth, the Earth is the center of our solar system." And Galileo said, and, "You know, no one. It, that seemed kind of logical, uh, but you know, Galileo comes along and says observationally, that's just not that's yeah. not true." Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it, it's and it's and it's amazing. You go back to the 19th century and you had a number of authors that were pitting. Uh, uh, science over against religion, and they they were literally lying about this. Uh, for example, how many times have we heard? And, I, and growing up, I heard the same thing. 
oh, uh, uh, Christians believed that, uh, religious people believed that the earth was flat. And you, and you can, I've got, you go back and look at the history books in schools and so forth and so on, and it's still taught today. Some people still believe that mm. the church taught that the, that the world was, in fact, flat, and right. which is com- historically completely false. Uh, Columbus did not did not sail the ocean blue in 1492 to, to prove that the world was round because everyone believed it was flat. Uh, right. His, his problem was he miscalculated the circumference of the earth and the cartographers of the day, they, they all knew, they all knew that the earth was, was round. They just didn't know how big around it was. And their estimates right. were bigger than, right. than, uh, 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 Columbus and providentially the Americas were, were, were somewhere where he didn't know, and that's what otherwise he would have just drifted off to obscurity. So even getting some history about what's, you know, what is really going on here in terms of, of science, uh, Christians are at the, were at the forefront of, of, of science. It's, there's, yeah. there's, there's no question about this. Even, even secularists who are honest admit, admit that. And if you t- look at evolution, I have a, I have a book I've been working on. I'm hopefully going to get it out this year. It's called Why It Might Be Okay to Eat Your Neighbor. And the subtitle <laughs> is, if atheism is right, can anything be wrong? Mm. And that's the question we always have to force the atheist, not permitting them to borrow Christian worldview principles. There is no basis within the atheistic, athe- the atheistic evolutionary worldview to account for either you, me, or anyone else out there as being special. We're, we're just a conglomeration of atoms energized by electricity. And if you go back far enough, we got where we are today by violence, rape, and all kinds of things, if you believe the evolutionary worldview. Yeah. So we need, so you, we have to understand these well enough to call the unbelievers to account for their false worldviews. I think it's uh, fascinating that, you know, we preach and teach that we are victors in Christ. There's victory in Christ. The victory has already been won. We use phrases like that and we talk about that and we have proof text. But then we live as though uh, that is at some point in the future or something, that we don't have the history. We don't have, um, you know, the right to stand up for what is true, that the victory really has been won. And we've allowed ourselves to be literally pushed into a corner and silenced. Um, my last question, and, and this is an important question to me, um, and, and I think many others. But how, how would how do you think about the idea of patriotism? We talk about freedom, and we talk about you know all of these concepts. Um, as an American, you know, who was raised in a very conservative, patriotic home, served in the military, um, I am thankful for my country. My view on what it is to be a patriot has definitely changed over the last several years, as I've. I think, matured in my own thinking. But how, how should a Christian think about, particularly in the United States, think about patriotism? Again, I think it all comes down to ethics. Uh, uh, you know, we're all proud of our, our country when it does right, and we, we should be critical of our country when it yeah. does wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and at the same time, you don't have to completely slam the, the nation because of some, some wrongs. I think that, that's, that doesn't help at all. Um, I think we as Christians need to be a bit more critical of some of the things that are that's happened in our in our history. I mean, the way, I mean, slavery. Yep. Um, I mean, there yep. are Christians who who defended slavery when the yeah. Here's a you look at the Bible. 
the Bible, man stealing in the Bible was forbidden, and not only if it was ever practiced, it was the cap, it was capital punishment. Can you imagine if you had applied the man stealing law against uh, uh, slavery today? We never would have had it. But you yeah. know, we, yeah. well, oh, that was Old Testament stuff, and right. you know, we had right. you got you know slaves in the New Testament, depending on what those slaves were. Some of them were indentured servants and so forth. There are all kinds of things. Race issues, I think we as Christians, we need to be on the forefront of, of, mm. of, of race issues without, without just capitulating to what like critical race theory wants to turn everything in, into Correct. a racial yeah, right. issue. Right, right, right. Um, so, again, wars, uh, I, you know... I, they are the most dev- devastating thing, and they they lead to the 20th century because of wars have led to many many people denouncing religion. How how could these things happen? Christian nations going up against Christian nations in Europe and killing one another and destroying our destroying civilizations. Where were the churches on this and appealing appealing to other pastors and so forth in these other nations? To stop the madness, I mean, World War One never should have taken place, and of course, the outgrowth of that it was World War Two. Um, and I mean, we just really need to think the, the the war effort. And and you know, you hate to have to say this, yeah. but uh, President Eisenhower you know, understood this. There's money in war, and a lot of people will give up their ethics sure. and their morality yeah. for money. Uh, so one can be a be patriotic, but but. Not not my country, you know, right or wrong. No matter what it does, I'm going to defend my country. You can defend your country, but at the same time, you need to speak up when it's doing something wrong. Uh, that's good. That's taken me a long time to get to that point. Um, even looking back at some things that, you know, I was involved in in the military. Um, and at the time, if you had asked me, why are you doing this? My answer would be because this is what my country needs me to do. This is what we need to do um, without applying that, you know, that overlay of a biblical worldview and asking the question, what is right and what is wrong, the ethics of it. Um, man, that's all so helpful. Thank you for, uh, thank you for that conversation. Um, mention your, your books again, if you would, please. And then um, anywhere else that you'd like people to go and, and follow you. And, and the, to me right now, this is probably the critical issue, not freedom per se, but the biblical worldview, understanding culture from this perspective. If we don't, we lose it. We're losing it. (laughs) Um, This is it. So please uh, point people wherever you'd like for them to go or they need to go. Well, I'm I'm president of American Vision, so it's AmericanVision.org. And we have a a whole slew of things, books, uh, audio, videotape. I produce two articles each week. I do three podcasts each week, all at AmericanVision.org. Wow. Um, yeah. God and Government is is a, I, I wrote it really as a kind of a high school text on biblical worldview, uh, and schools from around the world have have used it. I, I have a book called Myths, Lies, and Half Truths, which deal with things like um, Jesus never got mixed up in politics. We we're supposed to stay mm-hmm. neutral. Uh, we're supposed to do whatever the government tells us uh, us to do. Uh, the world is the world is evil. There's a separation between church and state. Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world. Politics is dirty. Yeah. All those types of things. That's myths, lies, and half truths. Um, so, and I, I deal also with the topic of eschatology. Uh, this, will, this might get me in some trouble, uh, but I think there's a preoccupation with the end times. <laughs> 
and, and, and these two things feed mm. off of one another. You see what, how bad things are on in the world. And you have got pe- preachers telling you all the signs are evident that the end is near. And you say, why, you know, why bother? Because we're not going to be able to fix why everything bother, because yeah. we're living in the end times. Sure. And I've been, I've been writing on that, that topic for, for many years. Uh, and I've written a book called Last Day's Madness, Wars and Rumors of Wars. Is Jesus Coming Soon? Um, and those books are pretty eye-opening for, you know, for, for lots of people. And we just mm-hmm. saw that the new Left Behind uh, reboot, The Rise of Antichrist. And I would ask somebody, I always ask somebody when they use the word Antichrist, I said, what is the biblical definition of Antichrist? And most people don't know. And then I said, once you learn that definition of Antichrist, now I want, and then you have to ask yourself, when was were the antichrists? Who were the antichrists? And you know, so when someone talks about antichrist, they think about a political figure. But when you read the Bible, right. the antichrists were not political figures; they were religious figures. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I cover all of this stuff in uh, yeah. in, a, in numerous books and so forth. So again, the web address is AmericanVision.org. Gary Demar, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it, and. Um... And thank you for what you're doing and what you continue to do. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Very grateful for that conversation. Um, So much great information there. That is an interview. This is a podcast episode that you not only want to listen to again, you need to go back. Several resources were mentioned. Books were mentioned. Websites. Go back. Make sure you're getting a hold of those books and going to the websites, getting a hold of the resources. This is a critical issue. But in addition to doing that, you need to share this out with others, many folks in your world that need to hear that conversation. And I hope that you'll do that. If you're not yet subscribed to the podcast, do that right now, wherever you're listening from, go ahead and subscribe. And then go over to our YouTube channel, go to YouTube, search for The Situation Report. You can find us there. And uh, we'd love to have you join us there as well. Subscribe, hit the notification bell, leave a comment, share that content out. That would all be fantastic. Really appreciate you watching and or listening and look forward to talking to you next time.